I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and I am flying solo on this preview of Georgia's week three matchup with the Tennessee Volunteers. Curtis, he's got some law school stuff to take care of, and Charlie apparently has a family or something that she likes to spend time with? I don't know. I guess I'm just a loser who doesn't have anything interesting going on in his life, so here I am. But no, in all seriousness, both Charlie and Curtis, they had some stuff come up today, but I wasn't about to let you guys down because we have a big game this week. I know a lot of eyes are already on that matchup with Alabama next week. I understand that. I get it. But for me, my eyes are squarely on this game against Tennessee. Because if we aren't ready to play and our minds are elsewhere, if we're already thinking about Alabama, they are plenty good enough to beat us. And guys, there is a lot of hate going into this game, especially with the Cade May situation and the accusations trying to get his waiver approved of a toxic environment in Athens. So there is certainly no love loss on either side here. And guys, let's be real. Tennessee, obviously they want to win every game, just like any other program. But this one holds maybe a special bit of significance for them. Because Tennessee, the state of Tennessee, while they are getting more and more talent, especially with the growth and the explosion of the Nashville area, that state traditionally just doesn't produce a ton of high-level football talent. Traditionally, historically, Tennessee has had to rely on recruiting outside their state's borders, specifically in Georgia with all the talent we have here and the fact that they are a bordering state. Go back to the former days when they were really rolling the 90s. They were making a living off of Georgia and the surrounding states, going in there and cherry-picking the best talents out of a state like Georgia when we were kind of down. So, As Jeremy Pruitt is trying to improve the talent and really improve that roster that Tennessee has, they have to be able to win some of these matchups with the Georgias and the Alabamas and the Floridas, especially Georgia and Florida, because wins against those teams can really give them a strong selling point when they're recruiting in the state of Georgia and the state of Florida, where they have to be able to recruit to land the big time players that they're going to need to be able to consistently compete for SEC East title. So this is a big game. Amarius Mims is a guy who's a five-star offensive lineman, I think one of the best offensive linemen, if not the best offensive tackles in the country coming out of high school this year. He's announcing next week, guys, and Tennessee and Georgia, from a lot of accounts out there, are his final two teams. 
So this game, I'm not saying one game where loss is going to necessarily swing a guy like that, but it could. You never know. It's just another selling point for them to try to swing Mims their way. So this is a big game for, for a lot of reasons. Obviously, for positioning this year for the SEC East title, but also looking in the future for recruiting and just really just the hate factor, which is a big part of what makes college football college football. So this is a big game, guys, and this is certainly not a game that we can overlook because I will tell you right now, Tennessee will be ready to play this game. Jeremy Pruitt wants this game. They want to win. All right, and our guys better come with the same mentality, or we might find ourselves walking out of San Francisco Stadium with a loss. Not that not that they're the better teams. I don't think that's the case, as I will detail throughout this show. But they will be ready to play. They want this one, and we better want it just as much if we're going to be able to get the win like we all want to on Saturday afternoon. So I'll be breaking that game down in detail in a way that you won't find it anywhere else. But first, I just want to take a quick minute or two to really, guys, just thank each and every one of you guys that listen to this podcast. Seriously, I just want to thank you guys. Whether you've been been with us from the beginning and have stuck with us these past six seasons or, or whether you've just found our podcast, it doesn't matter. Whether you never miss an episode or you just tune in during the season, it doesn't matter. If you listen to this show, if you support us, Curtis, Charlie, and myself, we are incredibly grateful for your support. And all the numbers are in now from last month, from September. And guys, last month was officially the best month in the six-year history of this podcast in terms of overall listenership. And it really wasn't even close. Like It really wasn't. Like last month blew every previous month out of the water. And the crazy thing is, we only had one game to talk about last month. It wasn't like we had a month full of games. We had one game at the end of the month to talk about. We weren't really even in the season, and yet it still broke records for us. And I don't say that to pump us up, like not at all. That's not my personality. That's not what I'm about. I'm not trying to pump myself up, pump Charlie up, pump Curtis up at all. I bring it up just to take the opportunity to thank each and every one of you guys for making that possible. I've said it so many times before on this show, but this podcast would not still be here without you guys. All of you that tune in and support us and listen to us each and every week throughout the year. We've had our ups and downs. And those of you who have been with us for a long time and and the few of you who have been with us since the very beginning, you know what I'm talking about here. We've just had some ups and downs with different partners and, and just issues like that. But the one constant through all of it has been your support. And honestly, I'm just blown away. I really am by how much this show has grown. Don't get me wrong, like we're we're still certainly not a big mainstream podcast by any stretch of the imagination, and we know that. Trust me, we know that. We are who we are, and we are very secure in that. We are secure in who we are. But guys, you just have to understand that that when Curtis and I decided to start this podcast six years ago, we really were. We were just two guys, no different than all of you, just average dudes. And I, I feel like that's still very much what I am today. That's what I am. Because this show, it, it's the show is just a, it's a show on the margins. We understand that. But we were just two guys who had a passion for Georgia sports and two guys that were frustrated with the lack of content for the diehard Georgia fans out there who wanted more than just, just the, the fluffy talking points you get out there with, with some of the mainstream stuff. And we had no backing from any media partners at all when we got started. It was really just us. And when we first started the podcast, like I remember, it, it was a win, man. It was a win to get like 50 listeners on episode. I vividly remember getting excited to just break 50. And then, oh my God, like when we broke 100 for the first time, like, whoa, we felt like we had just won the lottery. Like what just happened? 100 people want to listen to our podcast? Like this is insanity. And through the years, the show, I mean, it's just grown more and more each year to where we are now. Again, 
by no means some huge hotshot mainstream podcast or even the best podcast out there. Certainly not. I'm not. I'm not. I, w- I wouldn't say that. But even our humble place in the Georgia podcasting radio community, whatever you want to call it. Even our humble place in that community is honestly beyond what I ever imagined was possible for this podcast when we started all those years ago. And to be perfectly honest with you guys, we've come close to shutting it down a couple of times in the past when when some of our partners folded, they went under all of a sudden here right before a season, and uh, then we're left with kind of like uh, an identity crisis, like, like whoa, what do we do here? Kind of this existential crisis for the podcast. But through it all, we hung on. Uh, because number one, we just love doing this. Like we, we just love Georgia sports. We're passionate about it. This is what we love. We just want to talk about it. We want to break down football, basketball, tennis, whatever it is. That's just what we love to do. And then number two, like we really do. Like guys, we work hard and we put a lot of time and energy into bringing you our brand of Georgia sports coverage. Like for better or for worse, whatever you guys think of it. Like we work hard to bring you this coverage. And and when you've invested that much into something, you guys know what I'm talking about. It, it's just tough to let it go. But really, most importantly. The biggest reason we, we held on through all the ups and downs is we just had this kind of extraordinarily strong sense of gratitude to all of you who have made this podcast possible. And we just didn't want to let you guys down, honestly. We know we don't have like the most listeners by any means whatsoever, but the ones that we do have, we just value you guys so much and we appreciate it so much that we just don't want to let you down. So we kept grinding and grinding and now the show, we got through some of the dark times. The show is doing better than it ever has before. So I know that's a really, really long-winded way, which I know I'm apt to do, to just say thank you. But but thank you guys. Sincerely, we really, really do appreciate each and every one of you. But all right, enough of the sappy stuff. I'm picturing Charlie right now, like simultaneously rolling her eyes while she's vomiting as she's listening to this episode, because I'm not sure you guys have picked up on this yet with her, but emotions ain't exactly her thing. That's not what she's about. But anyway, enough of that. Let's get to the good stuff and let's break down our week three opponent, which as you guys all know, is the Tennessee Volunteers. And I'm going to start with a stat that I know none of you have ever heard before in your lives, but Tennessee, guys, they've won eight games in a row dating back to last year. In fact, that's tied for the longest current win streak in the entire nation. I'm going to have to pat myself on the back for that one because I'm pretty sure I'm the first person to ever mention that. Obviously, tongue in cheek there, but oh my God. College football, yes, it's the greatest thing ever invented in the history of the world. I will stand by that until the day I die. But even saying that, there are still a few things about it that drive me crazy, such as the inane talking points that just get beaten into the ground. And this is one of those talking points. Yes, of course, you've all heard that Tennessee has an eight-game winning streak dating back to last year. Because they won't let you forget about that. That's all you hear when they talk about Tennessee. Well, They talk about that and, of course, the the incredible Tennessee offensive line, the best offensive line in the history of college football. But yeah, guys, it's true. Tennessee is coming into this game riding an eight-game winning streak going back to last year. And and that's good. That's better than not having an eight-game winning streak, I guess. But I think this is one of the cases where context kind of matters. Like, look, just if you just look ever so slightly deeper into those eight wins, if you dare to challenge the talking point, what you find is that those eight wins have come over, oh, let's see, South Carolina, UAB, Kentucky, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Indiana, South Carolina again, Missouri again. They have exactly two wins over Power 5 teams with a winning record in that stretch, in that eight-game win streak. 
And here's something else, guys. They haven't beaten a top 10 team in over a decade now. In fact, Tennessee has not won a game against a team ranked inside the top 10 at the time of the game since 2006. It has truly been over a decade of utter futility for the Tennessee program. And that's what it's been. It's been a brutal, brutal stretch for the volunteer faithful. And in some small way, like I kind of have like a twinge of sympathy for them. I know I probably shouldn't. I kind of put myself in their in their situation. I'm like, wow, how would I feel if we hadn't won a top 10 matchup or been a top 10 team since 2006? Like, I don't know if I could survive that. I mean, we had our dark period. Don't get me wrong. In the 90s, the you know, that was that was rough. That was rough. But I don't know if it was ever that bad. It's been bad for them. But that being said, the past is the past. And while it can certainly have some bearing on the present and the future, the fact that no Tennessee team in the last 13 years has won a game against a top 10 opponent, that doesn't mean that this Tennessee team can't accomplish that feat. And the reality is that Tennessee is improving, guys. I will give them that. Like, there's something to that. This program is improving. They're in a much better place than they were three, four years ago. Jeremy Pruitt does have this volunteer program moving in the right direction. He's recruiting better players. He's put together a better staff than they've had in a long time. And the guy, you know, love him or hate him, the guy understands how an SEC power program should be built because he's seen it. He's been at Georgia. He's been at Alabama. He's seen it. He knows what it should look like. I can admit all of that. Because I believe it's true. I believe all of that I, that I just said is true. All those things are true. But, but, while they are improving and they are moving in a positive direction, the fact is, not only have they still not been able to beat the best teams, but they really haven't even been close. Like, they haven't even really been competitive. If you look at last year, last year alone, the most recent season, they lost to Georgia, Alabama, and Florida, who I would say were the three best teams on their schedule last year. They lost to those three teams by a combined score of 112 to 30, or an average score of 37 to 10. Guys, that's essentially four touchdowns. And then if you look at just their matchup with Georgia over the past three years, we have beaten them by a combined score of 122 to 26, and included in that three-year streak is the largest shutout loss in Nayland Stadium history. And over those past three years, not only have we outscored them 122 to 26, we've outgained them by a margin of 1,345 yards to 694 yards. Guys, you know math ain't my thing, but I can do that math. That means we have nearly so close to doubled their yardage output over the past three times we've faced them. So the more important question for me this week is not whether Tennessee has improved, because I think they have. The more important question for this particular game is have they improved enough to win this game, to beat this Georgia team? Have they improved by four touchdowns over the course of one year? Have they eliminated those insane margins? Have they closed the gap that much against the best teams in one single offseason? An offseason, by the way, in which it wasn't really an offseason. There was no spring practice. You had guys off campus with the COVID situation for months on end. Have they really closed the gap that much in one year? In my opinion, it's just me, but in my opinion, the answer is no. But what I will say for them is this. They haven't closed the gap that much, but this team that Jeremy Pruitt has built, he's gotten this roster to a level to where I think they can at least compete at a higher level than they have in years past. 
in, in recent years, you know, Alabama, Georgia, even Florida, you can throw them in there too. All three of those teams could go into the game against Tennessee and really play poorly, play maybe a C-level game, turn the ball over, commit penalties, miss tackles, blow assignments, all those things that usually cost you games. And they could still find a way to beat Tennessee because Tennessee just wasn't there from a roster standpoint. I mean, if you just look at the Bama game last year, I mean, Tua Tungvalu goes out in that game. Mac Jones has to come in about halfway through the game. And they still found a way to win that game, even though they played very poorly if you go back and watch that game. That was kind of where Tennessee was the past couple years. But this year, I'm not so sure that's the case this year. I think that Tennessee has gotten to the point where if one of those top teams plays poorly, then, then maybe they can jump up and get them. If we play really poorly on Saturday, we play a, a terrible game, horrible turnovers, penalties, all those kind of things. If we play like we did in the first half against Arkansas, I think they're to the point now where they can they can push us. They can potentially find a way to somehow win the game if they play up to their potential. I think that's kind of where Jeremy Pruitt has gotten this program to at this point. But saying that, like if, if Alabama, if Georgia, if Florida, if those three teams come in against Tennessee and play their best, bring their A game, Tennessee isn't beating any of those teams. It's just not. They're, they're not there yet. They're just simply not there yet. So in that sense, this Saturday, as far as I'm concerned, it's more about us than it is about them. Like We, we certainly have some issues that we've got to clean up. The offense has got to continue to grow, become more explosive, become more dynamic. We all know that. But the fact is, we just have a significantly better roster than they do. And I'm, I'm really not sure there's a matchup in this game that favors them on paper. But let's get a little bit more specific about this Tennessee squad. This team is very much built in the Georgia image. And Jeremy Pruitt is very much trying to follow the exact same formula that Kirby Smartfall when he first arrived in Athens. So he, he's built this team around being a physical, tough, hard-nosed team with an offense that is defined by a power-rushing attack, efficient quarterback play that can hit big plays off of play action. Tell me if you've, if you've heard that before, right? They want to be big and physical up front on defense with athletic linebackers, cornerbacks that are good enough to get up in your face and play press man coverage. Basically, in short, what our identity has been under Kirby Smart is exactly what Jeremy Pruitt wants their identity to be. Heck, they went out and hired our offensive coordinator. So don't tell me they don't want their identity to be exactly what ours was when Kirby Smart first got the job here in Athens. Now, we're trying to evolve from that, but that is the formula that Jeremy Pruitt is pursuing in Knoxville. Right now, what I would say, and I, I guess this is, I don't mean this to be like a, a shot at them, but I just, like, this is how I see them right now. Right now, I see Tennessee as a poor man's version of Georgia. That doesn't mean they can't beat us if if we don't play well, because I, I told you guys, I think they're capable of that now if we play really poorly. But if both teams play their best game, we win this game by two plus touchdowns. Now, are we going to play our best game? Are we going to bring our A game? I can't guarantee that. I mean, it's college football. You never know from week to week, man. You just never know. You try to predict, but it's really tough. But if we do come out with our A game and our guys are ready and focused on this game, then yeah, I, I think we win this game by two plus touchdowns. It's just hard to know what Georgia team you're going to see. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. But let's get into the matchups because... That is where games are won and lost. And let's kick it off with the unit that everyone in America is talking about. 
the unit that so many Tennessee fans, and don't forget the national talking heads out there, they just accept uncritically as one of the best units in the entire country. And that, of course, would be the Tennessee offensive line. They just have so many four and five stars. I mean, oh my God, what are we going to do? All the four and five stars. But guys, if you hear the mailbag show earlier in the week, I addressed this somewhat at the end of that episode, but let's dive in a little bit deeper. First, let's look at what this Tennessee offense was last year, okay, or this offensive line was last year. According to Pro Football Focus, Tennessee's offensive line grayed out as the 113th best offensive line in the country last year, which means very, very bad, right? Like bottom fourth, right? Bottom fourth of the, of the entire country in Division One. Their issues have been protecting the quarterback more than run blocking. For example, last year they were 124th nationally with their pass blocking grade according to Pro Football Focus, but 76th in the rush blocking grade. So 76 is not great, but it's much better than 124th. But okay, Tyler, that was last year. What does that have to do with this year, man? And, and yeah, you're right. You can't judge this year's Tennessee team off of last year's team. That's ridiculous. They're two different teams. But let's go ahead and look at this Tennessee team this year through two games. Yeah, I know it's it's not much to look at, but it's what we have to go off of. It's two games, and we're going to go with it. Right now, they are 11th in run blocking nationally, according to Pro Football Focus's grades. But let's remember, there's only 75 teams that are playing right now, right? But obviously, they're doing a much better job of blocking against the run, which is kind of what they were doing last year. That's certainly where they were most productive. So 11th in the country in rush blocking, that's solid with a 75 overall grade. Just for comparison's sake, Right now, we're sitting at 7th overall nationally with an 84 grade with Pro Football Focus's rush grades. So, I mean, if you think about some of the issues that we had, at least from a perception standpoint in the first game, running the football, but yet we are still rated higher than Tennessee's offensive line. If you think about all the consternation, all the concern there's been with our offensive line, when it comes to run blocking, we've actually graded out higher than they have through two games. People talk all the time, at least through two weeks in the season, at least through the first week that our offensive line has some serious issues. Even I said that. But yet they, they blow up the Cincinnati offensive line as this incredible unit, but they're actually still graded behind us when it comes to run blocking. But regardless, 11th in rush blocking, that's a big improvement for them. And this is an area where they were pretty good last year. But the thing is, their pass blocking is still extraordinarily poor. They're only grading out as 67th nationally, according to Pro Football Focus right now. And you might say, well, Tyler, that's a big improvement from last year. Maybe they are as good as people say they are. Okay, I hear that. But here's the thing. Sure, 67th in pass blocking might on the surface sound like a big improvement from 124th nationally. But guys, let's not forget, there are only 74 teams playing right now. They're in the bottom 10 of all Division I teams that are playing right now with an overall pass blocking grade of 42.6. Guys, that is abysmal. That's terrible. And the thing is, like... You can question that all you want, but watch them play. When you watch them play, you see exactly why they've graded out so poorly in pass blocking through the first two games. I mean, Cade Mays, I know he's the big talking point in this game, right? Obviously, former Georgia player, now transferred to Tennessee to play with his brother, and it was really ugly how it went down with his dad and with his pinky and the lawsuit and Tennessee claiming that we had a toxic environment and the whole nine yards. It, it, it got pretty ugly, more so on Tennessee's side, but it got ugly. There's certainly a lot of tension there. So that's certainly a talking point. But Cade Mays, he's back in the lineup. He played his first game of the year last week after the SEC commission made the decision to basically just let everyone play. And uh, regardless of what their situation was, just let them play this year because of COVID, which I don't know if that made a ton of sense, but hey, whatever. That's just the way it is, and we're going to roll with it, right? And Cade Mays, so he gets inserted in the lineup at right tackle, and, and he helped a little bit last week. 
But I don't, guys, I don't think Cade Mays is as good as everyone thinks he is. I know he played here. I know it's easy to say, well, that's sour grapes, man. You were really talking about while he was here, but now he's he went somewhere else. All of a sudden, he, he's chopped liver. He's terrible. I'm like, well, go back and listen to our tapes, guys. Like, I always felt Cade Mays was a good player with a lot of potential, and he did a good job being aggressive as a run blocker. But there were some major issues with him down the stretch last year as a pass blocker. And if you look back at last week, I know it was his first game of the year, so you got to throw that into context there. But last week, he grayed out at a 62 overall and only 35.7 as a pass blocker. That is atrocious, guys. I said this on the mailbag show, but every single offensive lineman on our team that played against Auburn last week, except for Owen Condon, only one player, but everyone else except for Condon, grayed out above Cade Mays last week. They only had one single player. If you look at their entire offensive line, they only had one single player grayed out above 70 last week. We had four. Again, with all the consternation about our offensive line, with all the issues that we supposedly have, we had four guys grayed out above 70. They only had one. So this is just what drives me crazy. The perception right now of the two offensive lines is that Tennessee's is one of the best in the country. While Georgia, yeah, they, they performed really poorly in week one. They're not nearly as good as they have been in past years. They looked a little bit better against Auburn, but we're still not sure. But... Why is that the perception when the production says differently? Because no one looks at production. No one knows what they're looking at. I shouldn't say no one. Too many people out there just repeat what they've heard somewhere because it's a talking point, right? It's a national talking point. So yeah, I heard that somewhere. So let's run with it. I won't actually critically watch the game and decide for myself. I'll just take what somebody told me and I'll accept that as just fact, as incontrovertible fact. But if you actually look at the facts, you look at the production, you look at how they're playing, you look at the numbers, Everything tells you that this Tennessee offensive line has improved. Yes, they have improved. They're a pretty good run blocking unit, but they are nowhere near a top offensive line in America. They're just not there yet. They're not what everyone says that they are. But they are better, and they do have good players. Trey Smith is, is certainly at left guard, a potential first rounder at guard. Brandon Kennedy, who's a former Alabama player, transferred over as a grad transfer a couple years ago. He's a very good, he's a very solid to good center. I think they're good on the interior. I think they're they're two guards and their center. I think they're pretty good there. And Cade Mays, he's an aggressive run blocker. He's certainly better as a run blocker than he is in pass protection right now. And that's why their run blocking performance has been so much better this year. On the interior, they're pretty good. But they have issues on the edges, man, just like they did last year. Wayne Morris at left tackle through two games has not graded out over 60 once so far through his entire career. He was a true freshman last year. The highest grade he's ever had in a single game is a 67. That's one of the guys we're talking about as this all-everything five-star. Just not seeing it, man. Just not seeing it. And he's the one guy, Morris is the one guy on the offensive line that really lacks physicality. He's just not that big, not that strong like some of the other guys are. Like, say what you want about Cade Mays, but he's big and strong. Smith is big and strong. Kendi for a center is pretty big and strong. They have some big physical guys. Wayne Morris just isn't that. Plus, he missed a total of about, about a month under quarantine this year coming into the, into the season. He never tested positive himself, from my understanding, but he was one of those guys that was quarantined due to contact tracing. So that certainly didn't help his, his development whatsoever. If you look back at Cade Mays, I know, again, he's a big talking point here. He just isn't good enough in pass pro. He's just not. He's got short arms. He doesn't move as well as people think he does. He falls down inexplicably at times. I just can't explain it. He spends way too much time on the ground to be a truly effective tackle. But the thing is, he's, he's got to play for them because his backup, Darnell Wright, who's another one of those five stars, uh, he was a five-star true freshman last year. He's actually worse. Like the idea this guy was a five-star when you watch him play, you're like, oh my God, who rated him a five-star? This guy, what on earth are they possibly thinking? Because he is truly, guys, one of the worst tackles, if not the worst offensive tackle in the SEC to actually play meaningful minutes. I mean, he essentially played most of the game for them in week one because Cade Mays wasn't playing. Now, he split time with Mays last week. 
He played, a, I think it was 30-something, 37 snaps, I believe is what he ended up playing. But he's not very good. In fact, he's just not good at all. So yeah, Cade Mays has issues as a pass protector, but he's still a better option right now than Darnell Wright is. And here's the thing. They have struggled this much in pass protection against South Carolina and Missouri's defensive lines. They haven't seen anything like ours. And I know Tennessee fans are giddy about this offensive line. The talking heads around the nation have gone into overdrive, pumping the sunshine, baby, because they just don't know any better. And they, again, they kind of just accept what they hear uncritically without actually watching them play and looking at the data. But I don't care, man. I've watched this team. I've looked at the numbers. I've looked at the advanced stats. This is a matchup that we should win. Our defensive line should win this matchup against this Tennessee offensive line that everyone is so in love with right now. I think we should because think about it. Who on that offensive line is moving Jordan Davis? Who's moving him? Brandon Kennedy is a good center, but he's moving Jordan Davis by himself. I haven't seen it yet this year, and I just have my doubts that Brandon Kennedy is going to be able to do that. And if they have to double him, then you got Devontae Wyatt or Jalen Carter or Malik Herring. They're getting blocked one-on-one, and they're going to win a lot of those battles. And on top of that, if you have to double Davis, then you have some free-running linebackers, and that's an issue for them. So if we, if we can get them into third-down situations, if we can win that battle up front and get them into third-down situations, you're telling me that offensive line? is going to protect Jared Guarantano against all the athletes and pass rushers that we get on the field in our dying package. We've got 52 quarterback hurries through two games this year, guys. And this is one of the eight worst pass blocking offensive lines in the country. I mean, call me crazy. Call me a homer if you want. That's fine. I don't care. But I like the matchup for the good guys in this one. I really do. And I know that goes against the grain if you look at what's being said nationally, but I like the matchup here. But if you look at their ground game in general, their rushing attack, like they've been pretty good. You know, again, going back to their offensive line, I think where where they're pretty strong is is in their run blocking. And their ground game has been pretty good, man. Overall, in pro football focus, they have the eighth highest rush grade offensively. They have two good running backs in Ty Chandler and Eric Gray. I think Chandler's a guy, I've been waiting on him from, since his freshman year for this guy to explode on the scene. I think he's a really explosive running back. He's good speed, runs with good power. He's got good hands on the backfield. I've been waiting for him to become that guy, and he he just hasn't really done it yet. He's gotten off to a good start this year. He had a little under 100 yards, 19 carries last week. It's a, a solid Missouri defense, but he's a good running back, and I, I have respect for his ability to be an explosive guy that can hit some big plays. Eric Gray is not that explosive. That's not his game. He's certainly not the fastest guy out there, but he is really, really quick incredible lateral quickness. If he gets you one-on-one in space, he can make you miss. Now, he's not going to pull away from you when he gets in the open field, but you get him one-on-one in a phone booth, he will make you miss. He's good in that regard. He runs with some good power, got good hands in that backfield. They really like to use him out of the backfield. So two good running backs go along with a good rush-blocking offensive line, and they're also doing some really interesting Jim Chaney-type stuff right now offensively in the run game. You're going to see a lot of heavy sets and tight formations, all the things that we saw with Jim Chaney. Just think back to our offense. 2016 through 2018, and that's what you're going to see a lot of on Saturday with Tennessee. But there are some new wrinkles that Cheney has thrown into the mix. They did something really interesting last week. They brought in Cooper Mays and Riley Locklear. They put on different jerseys, put them in tight end number jerseys. I think they were in the night. One was 98, one was 96, I want to say, if I remember correctly. And they put them in there almost as like H-backs, as wing players. And they're doing, when they do that, they have effectively seven offensive linemen in the game. Because guys, Cooper Mays and Riley Lockley are, are offensive linemen. They're not tight ends. 
they're putting him in there to function as tight ends, but they're they're offensive linemen. So they really effectively have seven offensive linemen in the game in those packages. I thought that was a very interesting look for them. They ran the ball very effectively out of that formation. You have all that much beef up front. And they have from what I've seen, I have not seen them throw the ball from that formation. But you have to think they have some wrinkles up their sleeve to pull out this week that we haven't seen before. Honestly, I expect to see the whole kitchen sink from Jim Chain. I expect them to pull out whatever they got in that playbook to do whatever it takes to try to beat us in this game. So with that rushing attack with the running backs, offensive line that, that is pretty good in the run game. They're going to want to establish the run first and foremost. I mean, that also just goes back to the identity, what Jeremy Pruitt wants them to be, what he wants the formula to be for this Tennessee football program. So I do expect them to try to establish the run. And I do think it's fair to say that their rushing attack will be the biggest challenge our front seven has faced to date. I think that's fair to say. They have a better run blocking offensive line and better running backs than Auburn does right now. But off of that rushing attack, they're going to try to work the play-action game with quarterback Jarrett Guarantano. So let's get to him for a minute here. I actually think a little bit more highly of Guarantano than most people do. He gets a lot of hate out there in the media from rival fan bases, and I get it. He's had some really boneheaded moments. He's gotten benched more than a couple of times, but this guy bounces back. He's a tough dude. I actually think he's pretty talented. I think he can make all the throws. I've seen him make just about every single throw that he needs to be able to make, and he's not a dual-threat guy. But he's really functionally mobile, and he can certainly pick up yardage with his legs. He can pick up some first downs if you're not paying attention to him. If you're, if you're a man coverage and turn your back to him, he'll take off and pick up some yardage with his legs. He can do that. And the dude's just tough as nails. The first couple of years that he was in Knoxville, I mean, he got his head ripped off, man. He just got beaten and bloodied because that offensive line was a disaster. And that's one of the reasons I said this offensive line has improved because you, if you look at where they were last year, two years ago, three years ago, I mean... It was horrifying for a quarterback, and they were getting quarterbacks murdered back there. So they have improved, and Guarantano went through the dark times with them, and he bounced back. He's tough as nails. He can take a hit and get back up, so you got to give him credit for that. But man, he just he has a little bit of that self-destructive gene that Felipe Franks has. You know, a great example would be the Alabama game last year. They had a chance to cut the game to a touchdown score in the fourth quarter. He gets in the game, and they, they're right there on the one-yard line, and they're about to score. If they if he actually hands the ball off to the running back, you can go back and watch the replays. He's probably going to walk in for a touchdown. But no, he decides to go rogue, man. He thinks he sees something. So he decides he's going to take the snap and do a quarterback sneak, go over the top, and kind of just push the ball out over the goal line. But in the process of doing that, the ball gets knocked away. Alabama picks it up, and they run it back for a touchdown. So instead of being down by only seven, if they score a touchdown there, now all of a sudden they're down by 21. It's a 14-point swing. That's the kind of thing that Guarantano has in him. He'll do that kind of thing. He'll do that. He'll make one terrible read. He'll make a poor throw. He'll be inaccurate because he can be inconsistent with his accuracy and one poor throw can cost him a game. I've seen it happen. But while he hasn't been spectacular so far this year against South Carolina and Missouri, he also hasn't killed him. Not yet. He hasn't killed him yet. He's been pretty efficient for the most part. He's made the plays that have been out there that, that, that he's been asked to make. Now, yeah, he's missed some throws. He's been inaccurate at times. It's kind of what he's done for years, and that's kind of who he is. And I don't think that's going to change. But if he gets rolling, he's really kind of a rhythm player. If he gets rolling, if he gets hot, he can really light you up. He went for over 400 against Missouri last year on the road, and he was just on fire in that game. He came out on fire, he stayed on fire. So if, if he's feeling like that, it, it could get scary real quick, but that's just, it's very few and far between that he has moments like that. But in terms of who he's throwing to, I don't really think he has a top-shelf group of wide receivers to work with. Really what's hurting them offensively, and they've been fine offensively, but it really hurts them when you lose your top two receivers. I mean, it hurts any team, but when you lose guys like 
Jawan Jennings and Marquez Callaway, who combined for over 1,600 yards and on 90 catches last year. That's a really tough duo to replace. Now, Josh Palmer was a guy that was kind of their third option last year. He's back this year. He has become their number one receiver, and I think he's a legit number one. I have respect for him. He's not an elite wide receiver. I don't think he's as good as Seth Williams, but I I still think he's a legit option as the number one receiver. He's physical. He's explosive. So far this year, he's got 10 catches for 156 yards, good hands. He's a good player. You certainly have to game plan for him, but around him, I think they're only okay around him. Brandon Johnson, Ramel Keaton are the other two you're going to see a lot of. Ramel Keaton's a guy out of Marietta High School, played with Harrison Bailey, who's now a backup for Tennessee right now as a true freshman. Those guys are, are their top two guys along with Palmer. Johnson and, and Keaton are both pretty tall. They have good size, good length. Keaton is rail thin, though. I mean, anytime this guy gets hit, you got to be afraid he's going to get broken in half. But they're solid. They haven't shown anything spectacular to this point. But they have decent, solid speed, good size, and go win some 50-50 balls, good hands, those kind of things. And Vellis Jones is kind of the guy who plays in the slot for them. He's a transfer from USC, and he's been pretty good for them. And kind of a shifty guy in space, not an overwhelmingly dynamic athlete, but he's got some shiftiness in space. I'll give him that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a solid wide receiver unit. And Guarantano, like he's, again, he's pretty talented at quarterback, but yet again, I like the matchup here. Our cornerbacks, especially with how Tyson Campbell is playing, I think we match up really well right now. Slot is a concern for me. It's always a concern with our slot DBs, our star position, whether it's it's Tyreek Stevenson or Mark Webb. We'll probably see both of them. That's always a concern for me. And again, guys, it's just a tough spot to play because you can't get a press on them. You can't get your hands on them. They got a two-way go there. You don't have the sideline to serve as a boundary. You don't have that. They can go either direction. It's, it's, it's very tough to play that spot, but we, we have had our issues there in pass coverage over the past couple years. So that's a concern for me. But overall, I really like how our cornerbacks are playing. And I think they're just better than this Tennessee wide receiver group. Palmer's good, but around him, they're, they're only okay. But if we're able to hold up against the run with our front six, which that will allow us to play a too high safety shell behind it, I, I especially like the matchup if that's the case. And if we can get pressure on Guarantano against that porous pass protection from Tennessee, then I really, really like our chances because at that point, it'll be really tough for Garantano because he'll panic. He'll make mistakes in those situations. That's where the self-destructive gene comes in. When he gets under pressure, he starts to make some really poor decisions like a lot of quarterbacks do. That's not necessarily uncommon. But all right, that's the Tennessee offense. But let's flip it over to the other side for a couple of minutes here as well. Right now, the Tennessee defense is graded 46 out of 74 Division I teams that are currently playing on Pro Football Focus. There are also 21st nationally in total defense and 31st nationally in yards per play allowed. They're allowing 5.32 yards per play. That's a lot of yards per play, guys. Like for comparison's sake, we're giving up 3.84 yards per play right now. They're giving up about a yard and a half more than that. That's that's not great. Uh, and look, they're they're good on defense. They're pretty good. And like the offense, they they have some elite players in spots. Henry Toe Toe at linebacker is I, I think I'm ready to call him an elite inside linebacker right now. If he's not there, he's he's very, very close to that. Alante Taylor, Bryce Thompson, they're good at cornerback as well. I'm not sure either one of those guys are elite elite, but they're very good cornerback prospects. The thing is, like they just don't have a, enough of those top-level guys on this defense. They don't have enough of them, especially on the defensive line. And you guys know, if you listen to this show, which I know you do, I think games are won and lost more often than not on the line of scrimmage. But if you look at that defensive line, my big question is this, who are the difference makers, guys? Who are the difference makers up front for them? And that's the big question I always ask myself when I'm breaking a team down. The first thing I look at is, okay, 
Who are the difference makers? Where are the difference makers? And I just don't know if I see those guys for Tennessee up front. I mean, is it Aubrey Solomon? No, not from what I've seen. He's fine, but no, not a difference maker. Latrell Bumpus? No. Daryl Middleton? No, they're fine. They're they're solid. They're, they're guys, but they're not elite. They're not game-changing type players right now. And so this is where I think they haven't caught up yet from a roster standpoint. They're just pretty average up front on that defensive line, and that's a big deal in the SEC. So I, I think this might be kind of similar to the Auburn game, what I said coming to the Auburn game last week. Yeah, I think our offensive line might still have some issues. I'm not ready to call them the best offensive line ever yet. I'm not ready to say they're completely out of the woods and, and we've solved all our problems offensively. I'm not ready to say that because Auburn's defensive line wasn't that good. But I think it's kind of the same story here with Tennessee's defensive line. Even if we have some issues on our offensive line, is their defensive line really equipped to exploit that? I don't think so. I think it's a wash at worst for us. I think worst case scenario, it's a draw. It's a push along the line of scrimmage with our offensive line and their defensive line. Now, I will give one guy some credit here. DeAndre Johnson has been good off the edge as a pass rusher for them. He's got three and a half sacks through two games. This guy's been, he's been an issue for teams rushing off the edge. So we're gonna need Jamari Sire to come to play. This will be his biggest challenge today as a pass rusher coming off that edge. So we'll have to certainly watch that because he's been pretty effective at getting after the quarterback. And at linebacker, yeah. Henry Toto, he's the real deal, guys. He's really, he's good. He's really good. He moves really well. He holds up well between the tackles, got good size, can hold his own in coverage. I think he's a true three-down guy inside linebacker, and those guys are tough to find, a true three-down inside linebacker, but I think he's one of those guys, kind of like N'Kobe Dean is for us. He's bigger than N'Kobe, though, but here's the thing. Toto is great. He's really good, but his running mate, Quavarius Crouch, is a liability, He's a converted running back. He was a running back coming out of high school. There's a lot of talk. He's one of those guys that when he's coming out of high school, they're talking about, well, is he going to have to change his position when he gets to college? And the answer is clearly yes. They've converted him to linebacker. But he is still very much learning that position. He's growing at that position. And you can tell when you watch him play, he's not always confident. He doesn't always know what to do. And the thing is, when you don't know what to do when you're playing football, you don't play as fast. That's just football 101. You can't play as fast if you're hesitant, if you're questioning, should I do this, should I, should I not? It's got to be instinctive for you, and it's not instinctive for him right now. And, also, and I think part of that, like going along with that, he's he also is really clumsy at times moving around out there. Like He'll just kind of like trip and stumble and kind of just lose his balance. It's just weird to watch him play. It's kind of hard to describe, especially for a guy who was a running back in high school and a good running back in high school. But the big thing for, for me when I'm watching Crouch, that dude is a major liability in coverage. I really hope that James Cook plays in this game. I know he's nursing that arm or shoulder injury that he suffered last week against Auburn. But I really hope James Cook plays because I think this is a game where he might be able to break out. I think we can really use him to exploit Quavarius Crouch with how Munkin is able to dictate favorable matchups. I really, really think that's something that we're going to watch and we're really going to try to exploit in this game. So watch for that, guys. Quavarius Crouch, I think he's number 27 off the top of my head. Toto is good, but Crouch is a guy that I certainly think that we can take advantage of and really kind of exploit when he's in the game. And the secondary, they're fine. They're really good at cornerback. Like I said, Alante Taylor, Bryce Thompson, those guys are good SEC cornerbacks. But they have a freshman starting right now at the star position in Danico Slaughter. I think this guy will be good long-term. I think he's a talented player. He's got good length, good size. But he's not completely there yet. He's another one of those guys that doesn't completely know what he's doing. If you're in the secondary and you don't really know what you're doing, I mean, think about Tyreek Stevenson last year, guys. He really didn't see the field much until the, the last third of the season because we couldn't trust him out there. It's just tough for a true freshman because if you get burned, 
I mean, it's probably six for the other team. But he's out there right now, and I think Kiaris Jackson could potentially have another big day against him, especially if they try to play with a safety over the top of George Pickens, like Auburn did last week to try to take him away, which I think there's a possibility they could do that. But I will say this. I'm curious to see if Jeremy Pruitt comes out trying to let Taylor or Thompson play Pickens one-on-one. I think he has a lot of faith in them. I'm curious to see if he has enough faith to come out and let them try to cover Pickens one-on-one early after what Kiaris did to Auburn. I'm curious to see if that happens, because if so, I think George could have, a, could have his first big game of this 2020 season, because I don't care. Taylor, Thompson, good players, good SEC cornerbacks, they're they're not a match for George Pickens right now. If Pickens is playing his game, they, they can't hang. They can't hang. So I would love for them to do that. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but it's something I'm, I'm curious to watch, because you know going back to the old Alabama days, that's something that Jeremy Pruitt really likes to do, is have his guys get up in receiver's face, play the man one-on-one there in that press man coverage, and just let them go to work. And if they try to do that with Pickens... I think it might come back to haunt him, but I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to do that because of how good Kiaris was last year, put up over 140 yards receiving from that slot position when Auburn was trying to cover him one-on-one with linebackers and safeties. They just weren't able to do it. So I'm curious. We'll see how that works out. But the bottom line with this defense, even though I, I still do have some questions about our offense and, and the ceiling of our offense with Stetson Bennett at quarterback, I, I'm not ready to say Stetson can't win. I, I think Stetson absolutely can win because we've won in the past with a quarterback very similar to him. But I still think there are questions about the ceiling. I, I want to continue to see it consistently. But even though I have some questions, there, there just aren't a ton of difference makers on this Tennessee defense right now. And again, that's what I look for first. You just don't see those guys. But I think it's fair to say this is the best defense we will have faced to this point. And they're very well coached. They are certainly very well coached. I just, I just don't think they're particularly equipped to take advantage of an offensive line that's still finding its way in gelling right now. And I, and I think Kiaris Jackson can pose some issues for them in the slot right now. So I do like the matchups, but before we get out of here today, we have to move on to our 3-2-1 segment, which we do at the end of every one of these game preview episodes. And this is where I give you three reasons for optimism in this game, two causes for concern, and one key to the game. So let's kick it off with three reasons for optimism, three reasons I like our chances in this game. Number one, I know this is kind of simplistic, but that doesn't make it any less true. And yeah, I know you could probably say this about every game on our schedule outside of maybe Alabama, but the fact is, guys, yes, Tennessee is improving, but like I told you at the outside of the show, we are still clearly the more talented team. Our roster is still head and shoulders above better and more talented than the one that Tennessee will bring to Athens on Saturday. And that's a huge deal. No, the most talented team does not always win. We know that's the case. That's college football for you, man. That's how upsets happen. The most talented team does not always win, but it's still a heck of a starting point. If you pulled 100 coaches, I can guarantee you that 100 of them, every single one of them will say, yeah, I'd rather have the more talented team going into the game, obviously, because Jimmy's and Joe's guys, I know it's cliche, but that's what gets it done. Coaches are great. X's and O's are great. You got to have that too. But more than anything, you got to have the players. And right now, I just think we have better players in Tennessee. I think it'll probably be that way for at least a couple more years, hopefully for many years into the future. So that's number one. Number two, the second reason that I like our chances in this game is really just how our defensive line is playing. Let's just assume for the sake of argument, let's just say that their offensive line, the Tennessee offensive line, is everything that everyone says it is. As I laid out earlier, I don't think that's the case. But even if they're the best offensive line in America... I don't care. I just don't see them dominating our defensive line enough 
to be able to control this game on the ground, which is what I think they're going to want to do and what they're going to need to do in order to be able to win this game. They are good on their interior. I think that's the strength of their offensive line. But I just don't think that they're better than Jordan Davis and they're better than Devontae White and Jalen Carter and Malik Herring. I just don't think they're better than those guys. And on the edges against their tackles, I really like Aziz Ojolari and Jermaine Johnson and Nolan Smith in this game. And we get into third downs, Adam Anderson will certainly get into the equation as well. So that's a matchup I really like in this game. I told you guys I like the exact same matchup last week against Auburn, and I like it again this week. I do think Tennessee's offensive line is better than what Auburn had last week, but I still like the matchup. I really like how our defense line is playing right now. And then the third reason for optimism, let's say that we're able to hopefully hold their run game in check. I think there's a good chance we'll be able to do that. If we're able to do that, then they're obviously going to have to turn to the air. And if they try to do that, I really like our corners against their wide receivers. Josh Palmer is a good player. I think he's the best receiver on their team. I think he's a clear number one option for them. But he, is he better than Tyson Campbell? I, I don't think so. I mean, the way Tyson Campbell was playing to start this season, that guy is pushing elite stats. I mean, he might be one of the top corners in the league when it's all said and done if he continues to play at the level that he's played through two games. I mean, his size, his length, his speed, his athleticism, his vastly improved ball skills made life incredibly difficult for Seth Williams last week. And I think Seth Williams is a better receiver than anyone that Tennessee has. So I like that matchup. And then I really like whether it's Eric Stokes or DJ Daniel mashed up on whoever it is that's going to be opposite of Josh Palmer, whether it's going to be Brandon Johnson, whether it's going to be Ramel Keaton. I really like that matchup as well. Our safeties are playing at a really high level if they can just keep themselves in the game. So I really like the matchup. Really, our corners against their wide receivers, but our secondary in general against their passing game. So they're the three reasons for optimism. But there are a couple reasons to be concerned here. Now, I will be honest here, guys. When trying to think of reasons to be concerned, I honestly had a tough time. I had a tough time, and that was kind of weird for me because I came into this week, like, really, almost as soon as we beat Auburn, I became laser-focused on Tennessee. Like, you watch the post-game interviews, and all of a sudden now my my mind is completely on Tennessee, and I started to get concerned, man. Are we going to be looking ahead to Alabama, this Tennessee team? They're playing pretty well right now. They're certainly improved from where they were the past couple of years. Is this a game where we're not going to bring our A game? We're not going to be fully focused on this game? I had concerns. I really wasn't feeling particularly great about it. But the more I got into this week, going back and re-watching Tennessee's first two games against South Carolina and Missouri, doing the research for the game, really peeling back the layers, I started to realize that it was kind of just in my head that my concerns were more based on emotions and circumstances as opposed to actually what's been taking place on the field and how both of these teams have been playing. And what I realized is that my concerns more than anything were, again, just like emotionally based concerns. The idea that Tennessee is really jacked up for this game. They want to win this game. Jeremy Pruitt realizes he's got to jump over the Georgia hurdle if he wants to get this program where he wants to get it. They're trying to recruit against us on the trail. You obviously got the whole Cade May situation, all of that tension that boiled up with him trying to get his eligibility in, in Tennessee, saying it was a toxic environment for him in Athens. That played a big factor. And then you combine that with my concerns about this team looking ahead to Alabama and maybe not paying as much attention to Tennessee it was really more of an emotional thing. I just I thought this was a tough spot for us, a spot that a, a, a lesser team, a lesser talented team, an improving but still lesser talented team could jump up and get us. But again, as I kept going through the week and preparing for the show and going back and actually watching the tape and digging through the numbers, I realized that that's all it was. It was just based on emotion. And sometimes circumstance matters. You know, sometimes a team that's more jacked up, it matters. But 
more often than not, the more talented team does end up winning. So I had, did have a tough time trying to find actual things on the field to be concerned about. But what I've got for you today, the first thing to be concerned about is, it is just a look-ahead factor. I'm not going to ignore that. When you have a huge matchup, a highly anticipated primetime matchup with Alabama, the team that we have not gotten over yet, we haven't jumped over that hurdle. We've been a hurdle in Tennessee's way, but so has Alabama for us. They've been the hurdle in our way. And you know that in some way, our guys have to be thinking about that game. They have to be looking ahead. But my hope is that Kirby and the staff are doing everything they possibly can. And I know that they're doing everything they possibly can to keep these guys focused. And I do think the Cade May situation and kind of how that went down and some of the things that were said on the Tennessee side that really kind of got out publicly, I do think that is really going to help us actually keep our guys focused. You know our guys don't really love the way that went down. So I, I think that certainly helps in the fact that Tennessee has become a rival over the years. I think that does help. And Kirby does a great job most of the time, with the exception of, I don't know, maybe South Carolina last year, a few games here and there. But most of the time, he has our guys jacked up, focused, and ready to play. And it's not so much jacked up. That helps. But I just want them focused on this game, not just on game day, but all week long. And the possibility, though, that they're thinking about Alabama, they're trying to get ahead of themselves, and their minds and, and focus aren't fully on Tennessee, that does concern me. Because like I said at the beginning of the show, in past years, maybe Tennessee wasn't good enough to make that matter. We can look ahead to Alabama, not play well, kind of just walk through the motions and still find a way to get out of there with a win. But Tennessee has gotten better. They're not all the way to our level yet. They don't have that kind of roster yet. But they're, they've gotten to the point where I do think they're, they're going to be more competitive and they're going to be good enough that if we don't take them seriously, we don't come to play, we aren't focused, kind of going through the motions, then they are good enough to jump up and beat us if we're, if we're really not taking them seriously. I hope that's not the case, but it's at least something to watch and, and something to, to think about going into this game. And then the second reason I'm at least you know, mildly concerned, something to think about here, is the familiarity aspect, specifically Jim Chaney's familiarity with our defense, with our calls, our terminology, our tendencies, things like that. Yeah, I know he hasn't been here for a year and a half. I get that. I'm sure we, and I know we've changed things up. I know that we have. I know we have a different coordinator than when he was here. So things have changed some. We have different personnel. All of that is true. All of that matters. And look, the familiarity thing cuts both ways. He might be familiar with us, but we're also familiar with him. So it certainly does cut both ways. But I'll say this, I would prefer it if Jim Cheney didn't have any knowledge of the inside operations of what we what we do defensively. I mean, he went against our defense in practice for a couple years straight. Again, new coordinator, I get it, but there's it's still largely Kirby's defense. Lanning is running the show, but Kirby's heavily involved. The influence is there. The structure of the defense is still the same. So that familiarity, you do have to think that it's going to help him from a game planning standpoint. And I know a lot of people have no faith in Jim Cheney as, as a offensive coordinator. A lot of people in the Georgia fan base think he's terrible. I, I've never been on that train. I think he's a good offensive coordinator. I don't think he's the best coordinator. I think we have an upgrade now. I think Todd Munkin is a much better offensive coordinator. But I still do think Jim Chaney is a good corner, especially when it comes to game planning. Now, in-game adjustments, I think there are certainly some legitimate questions there. But game planning for an opponent, he does an outstanding job there. So I, I do have some concern there of him coming out with a really good plan it's early in the season. We haven't seen a ton from them. They just show some wrinkles against Missouri. I'm curious to see if they do some different things off of that. If they throw some stuff at us that we haven't seen, I do expect them, honestly, to throw everything they possibly can at us 
to try to win this game because it is huge for them. And that goes back to my first reason for concern here. Like they just want to win. They want this game. And I'm just afraid on some level they might want it more than us. And I think that can matter. When a team just wants it more than the other team, that can matter. I hope that's not the case. Again, I hope the Cade Mays thing certainly kind of levels that out to a degree. But I know Tennessee wants this game for recruiting, for pride, for taking that next step in the SEC East. All of those reasons for the Cade Mays thing, they want this game. And I just hope our guys can kind of match that desire and match that intensity. And finally, that brings us to our one key to the game. And for me, this one's pretty clear cut. It's pretty straightforward for me when I'm thinking about what is the key to winning this game. Quite simply, as far as I'm concerned, it's winning the line of scrimmage. These are two teams with very similar identities, very similar formulas, as I laid out earlier in the show. And when you have two teams that put such an emphasis on line of scrimmage play and physicality, I mean, think about how many times we've heard Kirby Smart say that, physicality. It's a huge deal for him, and I know it's a huge deal for Jeremy Pruitt as well. So for me, whoever wins this matchup on the line of scrimmage, whether it's their defensive line versus our offensive line, their offensive line versus our defensive line, whoever wins the line of scrimmage is likely going to emerge from this game victorious. Now, sure, you can say that about most games, but when it's a game like this, when it's two teams that put such an emphasis, when their identity is built around physical line of scrimmage play, it assumes even greater importance than it does for your typical run-of-the-mill game. So I think that's a huge deal. Can we win the line of scrimmage? I think that we can. I laid that out throughout this show. I think that we can, but we got to come out and do it because Tennessee's going to be ready to play. That offensive line's coming to play. Their defensive line, I don't think it's great. I think they have just a bunch of guys on that defensive line, but they are going to be ready to play, and we've got to match that intensity. We've got to be focused on this game, and if we can win that battle up front on both lines of scrimmage, then I don't see how Tennessee is going to be able to beat us, but that's why they played the games. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UJ Podcast. I appreciate all of you for listening to this show. Again, like I said at the outset of the show, I really appreciate all of you for just supporting us for as long as you guys have. I mean, it's, it's been a great month for us. Last month was the best month we've ever had. That's awesome. And this month is already right now in October. I know it's still only a week into October, but we're actually on pace to beat last month. So it's awesome, guys. And that's all because of you. We really, really appreciate that. So thank you. Make sure you check back Thursday evening. Charlie will be back with me for our Picks of the Week episode with last week's winner from our Glory UGA Pick'em League. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. We love those episodes. So make sure to check in there. But I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>